Seinfeld, The Watch is over and has been for quite some time, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who love the sound of Velcro. I'm Rob Sestrini. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Good. I like Velcro, but I'm anti-suede. Anti-suede. You ever just rub it against the grain? Uh, I can't say that I have. No. Oh, that feels so good. All right, Akiva. So here we are to talk about the second half of another two-part episode. And then finally, after this week, then we'll be out of two-part episodes for a bit, right? Smooth sailing after this one. Smooth sailing. And of course, this is the back end of the episode that we talked about last week, which was the wallet. This is the watch. Do you think that they should have reversed the names? Should last week's episode have been the watch and, and this one been the wallet? Yeah, I think last week's was the watch and this one's last week's definitely should have been the watch. This one, I don't know if this one had to be the wallet per se, but it's it's cer- certainly last week should have been the watch. So I guess once you're making last week the watch, you can make this week the wallet. Although is it like a spoiler for the last scene? I don't know. I don't know. So we're about to jump into it. Of course, uh, this episode picks up where last week's episode uh, left off with everybody out at dinner. Uh, and then we're going to see uh, Jerry try to get the watch back from Uncle Leo and fight with his dad about paying for dinner. Then we're also going to see George trying to get back to Russell's house to negotiate back into, not even negotiate, to to grovel to get the show back. And then we're also going to see a lot of business going on with Kramer trying to break up with Dr. Reston for Elaine and Elaine running into crazy Joe Davola. Yeah, ooh, a crazy Joe Davola. Yes. Yeah, I really, uh, I'm, uh, you know, he's, he's real. The truth is the crazy Joe Davola actor is really good. He's really creepy. Yeah, he's really creepy. All right. Uh, Keith, you have any Seinfeld news for this week? Uh, yeah, we always got something. What do you got? Um, are, are you familiar with the rapper Wale? I am not. He's got like a, like, I think many million uh, Twitter followers. Anyway, he's a popular rapper. And uh, he came out with a new not album. This Disney week. Robot? Oh, not Wale. No. Okay. My kids don't like that movie for some reason. They like all the other Pixar movies. Mm, okay. um, the, uh, so he came out with an album this week, and it was uh, the number one album in America, for what that's worth, in 2015. And uh, the album is called The Album About Nothing. Hmm. And uh, there's a guest star on the album, uh, one Jerry Seinfeld. Oh. And before every track, or most of the tracks, I listened to uh, like the first 10 uh, songs or whatever from the album. Jerry comes on uh, and, you know, speaks to uh, speaks to Wale. Like, you know, he, it's not a conversation. You kind of, he's kind of just like uh, it's hard to explain. You sort of have to listen to it. But he, he's just like ranting and talking about nonsense. There's no like jokes or anything. And then sometimes in the middle of the songs, they'll just be like bits from Seinfeld. OK, so, you know, you'll I just hear you'll out? just hear like uh, Jerry and George, Jerry and like Elaine doing the you know, their conversation for the deal where George saying like, you have to bottom out if you want to be hopeless, which we saw in the fix up. And, uh, and, and the theme, I guess, of the whole album is uh, the album cover looks a little Seinfeldy, and the songs are all uh, sound like Seinfeld episodes, the white shoes, the helium balloon, the one time in Houston. So, uh, you know, the whole thing is, uh, is really, you know, tied into Seinfeld. Okay. So I'll check it out. I know. I mean, I know you're a big rap fan, in particular Wally, to begin with. So you're probably going to see it this week, anyway. Probably, probably. I was going to get to it. All right. So uh, we will get into checking that out. Anything else, Akiva? No. That's uh, there's that's the only Seinfeld related rap album for the week. Okay. Good. 
All right, let's get into talking about the episode, which picks up from last week. There's an extensive uh, previously on Seinfeld. I really feel like they may have gone overboard with the previously on. Yeah, um, it is true. It's very long. I don't know how much you need to know because it's kind of all explained. I also think, I mean, I guess they couldn't do it yet because the character didn't exist. But uh, I know you're also a Lost fan. And the guy who does previously on Lost, right, is Lloyd Braun. Oh. The, right, the ABC executive. Yes. And uh, who was fired, I think, before the show ever aired. Yes. So Lloyd Braun is uh, Jerry's, ma- Larry David's manager or very good friend or agent or something at this point. Yes. Uh, and of course, there's a, there's a character on the show, George's old friend, Lloyd Braun. So it would be funny if for the syndication, they got Lloyd Braun to do the previously on Seinfeld. I think that might be a little too meta. I guess, but it doesn't really, you know, mess with the show and people would like it. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's get into talking about uh, Jerry's Seinfeld. And he's talking about uh, all sorts of terrible, crappy gifts, which are like executive desk felt sort of things like that. Akiva, have you ever gotten a gift like that? Um, I, like I'm trying to think of the worst gift I've ever gotten. I'll tell you a, a sequel, what, what seemed like a terrible gift, but ended up being a good gift was someone got me a Super Nintendo game right after Super Nintendo came out. I didn't have Super Nintendo. Yeah. So uh, to, to go with Super Bases Loaded, I had to get my parents buy me the Super Nintendo. But I, I can't think of like a truly terrible gift. But some, when people give me clothing, I, I could care less about that. What about you? Do you ever get like a horrible gift? Yeah, no, that definitely happens. Like, I feel like, you know, you get something and it's like, did they even like consider, think of me at all? Like, why would they think I would want this? You know, somebody got me like, you know, I'm trying to think of some some lame ones, like especially like most times I've been in like secret Santas and, and stuff like that. Like anytime you're like in an office or something like that and you mm-hmm. get something and it's like, uh, like, why did you think I would like this? That's why I don't do secret Santas or Hanukkah. Harry's. Sometimes you do good. Sometimes you do well. But uh, but sometimes like it seems like anytime you do it like at your job, it's like people just really half ass it. And that's when you spend like twice the minimum. Yeah. And they 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 just like thought of something during break, like right before they exchanged gifts and ran out to CVS and bought something. Because I agonize about it. Like I say, like, oh, my God, like, I I don't want to be the person that gets a crappy gift because then like I'm trying to think of like the last one that that I was in it like a job. And I remember just getting something crappy. Yeah. uh, When we did some I think they called it Hanukkah Harry, but we did a like a secret Santa uh, when I was a teacher and I was one year I was goaded into joining and um, I walked into a teacher's room to speak to her for a second. And there was a book uh, on the table. I'm like, that's so weird. Like it was like a super obscure sports book. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I really want that book. And she was like awkward about it. And then I walked out and I realized like, oh, she knows my dad. I bet she just asked my dad what I want, what I would want. And I was like looking at the book that she clearly had forgotten to put away when I walked in the room. Okay, but then you got the book. Yeah, I got the book. It would just ruin the surprise for me. But again, I if you're going to like, I would rather just like the best case scenario for a secret Santa is just give me cash. I was giving cash for a secret no, Santa. Nobody, <laughs> but I don't like the point. If I really want something, I'll just go out and buy it. Mm, okay. All right. So <laughs> I've never heard of cash for secret Santa. I, if I ever do another secret Santa, then I will give the person cash. Because it's like a $5 limit or something like that. Oh, I'll give him. I won't give him $5. That's embarrassing. I'll give him like 20 bucks. But I'm not, I'm, you know, it's so hard to buy gifts for people. Yeah. You would break the rules. If it's $5 Secret Santa, you would give a $20 bill. Oh, $5 is the maximum. I thought $5 is the minimum in your maximum. example. 
Oh, well, that's a terrible secret Santa. You should steer clear of the fight. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'd give him 10 bucks then. Okay. Or you do something funny. You give it to them in nickels. <laughs> It'd be very heavy. Okay. So we go back to dinner and Morty is complaining about the very elusive Jimmy Sherman, who's uh, an enigma who was able to fix Uncle Leo's watch in a day, but is taking over a week to fix the same watch from Jerry. Yeah, if you notice that when he says Jimmy Sherman's an enigma, uh, enigma wrapped in a riddle, that's a lot like uh, how he delivers the, the famous Newman line, right? That Newman's a mystery wrapped in a Twinkie. Yes, yes. Um, we also have the introduction of the woman who is the uh, maitre d' at the restaurant. Right, so uh, she's not named in this episode, but uh, she becomes uh, uh, you know, a key character in the next episode, The Bubble Boy. And is she a famous person? Does she go on to do anything else, that woman? Uh, okay, so Naomi is, uh, I actually, I looked her up and I should have known this. She's Jessica Lundy, who uh, I should be familiar with from just a few weeks ago because she's Gloria from Hope and Gloria, one of the, uh, I don't remember where I ranked that on my <laughs> 11 show, but I don't think it was up there. And you could tell how memorable those shows were. I already forgot. I knew she looked familiar, but I already forgot who she was. Yeah. By the way, um, you know, we talked so much about Scientology on the NBC uh, must-see TV wrap up. Did you watch the Scientology documentary on HBO? Uh, I have it in my list, uh, but I'm catching up on a lot of other nonsense. So you I need didn't. to do a post-show recap of that. I watched the first half hour, but it was good. I was actually like, that's the type of thing where I would like, uh, you know, write to you and like, hey, is anybody doing that? Maybe I would be interested in, in like listening to it or doing it. But I realized, like, they might just strike down your whole site. It's not oh, yeah, forget doing. about that. <laughs> don't do, don't <laughs> forget do. Forget about that. Well, wait for the one about Judaism. They're, they're, you know, we're wimps. <laughs> yeah, the neurotology will do. We'll do that documentary. Yeah, yeah. You make up a fake thing. You, that's the last people you want to mess with. The Scientologists. That's fair. Best case scenario, they sue you. All right. So the oh no. So we have Helen arguing over. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Jerry says she's pretty. Uh, so pretty or beautiful. Where do you stand on this? Uncle Leo uh, lands on. She's all right. Well, Uncle Leo, we know he has high standards. I, she's really pretty. Yes, but not beautiful. If you haven't heard her laugh. Yes. You go. You side pretty, not beautiful. I, I mean, I, I guess she's beautiful. I mean, I, I don't I mean, like, again, we're doing like TV standards. You know, she's just another one of Jerry's girlfriends. But if you saw her in real life, I guess she's beautiful. <sighs> this must be a tough role to cast for. Like, uh, we're looking for somebody who is debatable whether she's pretty or beautiful. <laughs> like, on and one she, hand, it's flattering. On the other hand, it's not that flattering. Yeah, I mean, there's probably worse, you know, the nose job girl or that sort of thing. Like, there's probably worse sort of casting things. Or, or what about the fat guy in the finale? Like, that was that's probably like an awkward casting. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're not, you're obese, but you're not obese enough for them to make fun of you. Yeah, but John Panette is like a famous comedian who does, you know, stand, like, you weren't insulting John Panette by casting him for a fat guy. Right, but I, but again, you're saying she's pretty or beautiful. It's not like a cute or hot debate. It's even better than that, I think. A little bit better. Okay, so better to be pretty than cute? I mean, I, I, I would be fine with either one if I was this hypothetical woman, but I, I think a woman would probably choose pretty over cute. Okay. And I think that Jerry's right for the record. Fair enough. Okay. So then we go back to uh, George after another date with Susan and Susan lets George know that Russell said the hell with them. The hell with them. Yeah. And why should we give two guys with no idea more money? Yeah, I guess when you put it that way, that makes a lot of sense. Like, we probably shouldn't have given them any money in the first place. 
Yeah, it really does go exactly by the way that Jerry said it would in the previous episode when George was like, you don't know anything about negotiations. You know a little bit about baseball, you know a little bit about (laughs) relationships and women, but this you don't know anything about. And it's funny because until they find out at the end that Jerry was right, like even Morty Costanza, Morty Seinfeld sides with George. Like he thinks that George is the business brains here. Yes. And George throws Jerry under the bus. He says, no, it was Jerry. I was quoting him. Right. He says he is the comedian and Jerry's the business brains here. (laughs) Yes. Yes. George is the talent. Jerry is the business person. Yeah. It's funny because they didn't even hire George. George (laughs) shoehorns himself in and becomes the talent. This is pretty amazing. So you said you said that was insulting. Like, what? what? What's insulting? He says, you could call me baldy. You could dump soup on my head. <laughs> what? I feel like these are things that have happened. Probably it's just so random of ways to insult George Costanza. Either call you could call him baldy or you could dump soup on his head. I mean, he's speaking from personal experience. The gym teacher alone probably did both those things. So he asks, what kind of a maniac just says no? Yeah, I mean, it is pretty crazy. Like, uh, you know, I, I, but do you ever have that? You ever like say no to something and then two seconds later, you're like, oh my God, I no. should have just, uh, yeah. just said yes. No, I'm being good about guy? this because I, I tend to have a good read on where I have no leverage whatsoever. Like uh, I would never like pass something up that I wanted to do because I think that I, my whole life I say like, oh, like, why would anybody want me? So anything that I get, uh, I am very quick to accept it. Like I never really hold out or try to negotiate for anything. Yeah, I, I have, I, I'm sort of bad. And now I realize that I'm, now that I'm older and wiser, I realize like you could, it's much easier to say yes and then say no later. When I, so when I was teaching, um, the last year I was teaching, I, um, I, I, was the, I was the English teacher for all four grades. There was only one class per grade. And the principal calls me into the office one day and he says, uh, hey, Kiva, do you want to come back next year? Like, we're happy to have you back. You're doing a great job. And I said, uh, you know, I got to talk about it. My wife, it's uh, it's like vacation. It was like the winter vacation or whatever for two weeks. I'm like, we'll talk when when uh, when we get back, even though in my mind it was like 90 percent. I was just kind of being too honest. And then I got back and there was uh, there was like a guy interviewing. I'm like, who's he interviewing for? He must be like the new math teacher. And I, I was speaking to him and he's like, oh, no, I mean, I'm uh, an English teacher. And I went down to the principal. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you interviewing a teacher for my job? And he's like, you kind of didn't seem interested. So now I realize like I, I ended up getting the job, but then the school closed down before the next year anyway. But I, I realize now you always say yes. And you could always, you know, decide afterwards you're not doing it. Yeah, that's sort of the survivor rules also where, you know, somebody says, hey, do you want to be in the alliance? The answer is always yes. It's not like, you know what? Let me let me just uh, check out what else is going on and then let me get back to you. You know, the answer is always yes. You could always back out. Yeah, I think it's good rule for life. And for George, like this was asinine to try to hold out for more money when so many people are trying to get this opportunity. Right. And the money comes later. The money comes if you're successful. Right. Right. But George doesn't know anything. He's trying to get a quick payday. And, you know, doesn't realize that, you know, if they just nail this job, they could be, you know, making millions. Yeah. I mean, just look at what actually happened. Yes. Yes. But he's holding out for the 13,000. Um, did we talk about this before? Do we have any sense that this is how it actually went with Jerry and Larry? I don't, I don't know if this part is based. A lot of this is based on what actually happened. I'm, I, I could see it more that they had a discussion between themselves. I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think that they uh, actually went to NBC and turned down their offer just because that would be insane because they speak about how, you know, not successful they were at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
then uh, they said Russell doesn't like to play games. George is going to have to wait until Monday to talk to Russell. He can't wait that long. He goes into Susan's address book and they're like wrestling over the address book. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm, first of all, I'm impressed Susan even has Dalrymple's address. Like he's the big boss. Like how often is Susan getting invited over? To Russell Dalrymple's house. I don't know. I got the sense that he is a close confidant of the uh, of Susan. Like I feel like that they're you know work closely together. I mean, he said last week uh, that you know there's one person I I trust, and that's Susan. I trust her judgment. That's true, and we know you know he he's you know maybe Dalrymple plays the field, so he's probably interested in Susan also. Yeah. Okay. So what night do you think this is? This is Friday night or Saturday night? I'm going to guess it's Friday night just because if it was Saturday night, like maybe George waits. Yeah. Okay. So we go to Kramer's apartment and this is a a big scene in Kramer's apartment. Yeah. This is the first time we've really seen the apartment. Yes. And we're going to see a a big chunk of it. I don't remember seeing this much. Yeah. This is about as much as we ever see in the first like five seasons. And it's really like a dystopian nightmare. The apartment. It's so dark. (laughs) Yeah. And then do we see it again in the Da Vinci sleep episode? Yeah, we see in the Da Vinci sleep. We see it a bunch of times when he invites guests over. Uh, we see it when he turns his, you know, when, when uh, he, he lives in the bath. Uh, so we do see it a bunch of times, but definitely we, have, we haven't really seen it at all uh, at, at this point. Okay. So we end up with Kramer and Elaine talking about this relationship because Kramer has to go see Dr. Reston and Kramer wants to know, Elaine, have we been intimate? Uh, yeah. Uh, they sure have five times a week. Yeah. How often do we do it? Five times a week. And Kramer gives a good reaction. Uh, oh, baby. <laughs> well, how about that, Akiva? Five times a week. Yeah. Elaine, well, we know Elaine. Uh, Elaine's a freak. You know, she um, you know, that's that's why she needs a lot of sponges. Yeah. Wow. Five times a week. Uh, blows my mind. Well, they're not married. They're not married. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> All right. So um, we are hearing more about this story that they're working on. And so Kramer uh, is going to call up Dr. Reston and he starts off by saying he's a good friend of Elaine. And then she like punches him. And then finally he gets to that. Uh, there, there are more than friends. Yeah, I also like and this is a sitcom thing also, like when somebody is sort of you're on the phone and somebody's right next to you, sort of like telling you what to say, like the person on the other line can hear you 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's also good, good advice. Like if you, you know, if you're, if your wife is like in your ear saying like, you know, tell so-and-so that you're not, you know, you're not there or something like that person hears you. Yeah. So Kramer gets really into it. He's like, Elaine and I are in love and we want to pursue our courtship unfettered. And he's like docking really tough until Dr. Reston sort of turns it around into getting Kramer to come and see him in the office. Yeah. This Reston is really, you know, he's a master. He can really trick. Yeah, you're right. He can trick anybody to do anything. Yeah, he's like a Sven Jolly. He is. He's very jolly. He's very tricky. All right. So meanwhile, Jerry is still at the restaurant. And basically, is Jerry like at the restaurant like the whole episode? But meanwhile, time is like progressing very rapidly for everybody else. I think that's probably the safest <laughs> bet because if you between last episode and this episode, there no time takes place at the restaurant, right? It goes straight into... Uh, you know, they're basically maybe a minute later. So if you think about all the things that happened with George going to the house, Kramer going to um, Kramer, you know, being on the phone, making an appointment. I imagine when you call up a psychiatrist, you're not getting an appointment, you know, for that minute on the weekend. No, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I I think that uh, the time here really 
um, you know, it's standing still in the restaurant, but it's moving outside. Time is a flat circle, Akiva. Yes. And it's a little bit like lost, like like that's a flash forward. And here we're kind of in the present or something. <laughs> okay. I, and I'm confused, just like in the last, you know, season five of Lost. <laughs> All right. So um, the maitre d' comes over. Am I using the right name for her? Is she a maitre d'? The guy is the maitre d'. I think she's the waitress, no? I thought she was sort of the person seating people. I didn't think she was taking their orders. Oh, she was maybe then she's the hostess, maybe. Hostess? Because I think the maitre d', unless he's the owner. Actually, maybe the guy he argues over the bill, is that the owner, maybe? I don't know. I, I would because say that- he says you don't have a restaurant. Yeah. Is maitre d', is that a term that is, is that unisex maitre d'? I think so. What would be, what would be the- like matrindy, I don't know. Anything I say is <laughs> like I, I'm going to say yes. Although it it seems to be typically a male, uh, there's no reason why it can't be a woman. Yeah, let me just look this up because I want to make I want to make sure that uh, I am I am pronouncing this uh, correctly. That, or I, I know how to pronounce it. I just want to make sure. Um, we'll go with matrid until I hear otherwise. That I, sh- I I don't see why uh, why she can't be matrid. But that definitely makes the. He haggles over the bill with the owner, right? Or at least the manager. The man, I'd say that's the manager. I'd say yeah, she's fair. the maitre d' and the other guy is the manager. Okay. It, she might be a hostess. Yeah. But okay. you're saying maitre d'. I'll, I'm, I got no problem. I'll go with that. Yeah. Okay. So there she is. Uh, that She's coming over and saying, uh, did you guys enjoy the croissant? What kind of place is this that they're having croissants? I know. And for dessert. I don't, need, like, I don't know what type of restaurant this is. It's, it's kind of like vague. I don't really know what's going on. And it can't be too fancy because we know Morty Seinfeld with no wallet isn't shelling out that much money. Right. And Helen wants to know, uh, why didn't you flirt with her? Yeah. I mean, that's such a mom thing. I like it. It's, you know, she's, uh, you know, and it, it, would Jerry ask, like, why don't you flirt with her? I'm surprised that Helen doesn't go over to her and get her number. Yes. Okay. Uh, by the way, according to Answers.com, a maitre d' is a man or a woman who's in charge of taking reservations and seating people at fancier, more upscale restaurants. Uh, I'm glad you didn't check Yahoo Answers because I hear that's a shady business. <laughs> yes, no problem. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> then Helen's like on his case, like, uh, but couldn't you come up with something? You're a comedian. I do like when people expect Jerry to be like funny on the fly like that. Yeah. Because um, even his fist joke is terrible that he tells later. Yeah, it's not a great joke, even though the girl laughs at it. So there's a bit of a struggle over who's going to pay the bill, Jerry or Morty. And Morty is like, I got it. I got it. Jerry wants to pay. Jerry wants to pay. And ultimately Morty ends up taking the check. And Jerry says, I would like to see how you're going to pay. You have no wallet. So if, if you do this, then the whole monetary system is done for. I do like, I, I do like, uh, I'm not at the point yet where I've ever paid for something with my parents. But like, you know, if I was at the table with my mom or something, I do think that's a level like Jerry, maybe just by getting on the Tonight Show, like now he's finally at that level where he can like, it's even an option for him to pay for his parents. Right. Like, could you imagine if your kids were ever going to pay for a meal? I mean, especially the one year old, like he just eat <laughs> the money. <laughs> my, yeah. this, when kids are little, they like paying for things. Like when we go to the mall or something, my daughter like begs to like buy me stuff with her money, but oh. you know, then I'm just going to have to buy her more stuff with my money. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we end up seeing uh, Leo in the bathroom with Jerry and Jerry apologizes again for that day. He couldn't really talk to him. Leo has, he has plenty of friends in show business. Who do you think are Leo's friends in show business? <laughs> I guess people who have a connection with the parks department. <laughs> I guess all, all the stars of parks and recreation. 
Well, maybe there's like a lot of movies filmed in Central Park and like Woody Allen. Yeah. Leo tags along with his son. Okay. And so they're talking about the watch and Jerry is going to uh, begin a negotiation with Leo uh, for the watch. Uh, This is really an episode with some pretty wacky negotiations all across the board. Yeah. Really, the whole gang is are not great businessmen. Yes. Because we have this negotiation between Jerry and Leo. Then we have the negotiation between George and Russell. And we have a bit of a negotiation between Kramer and Dr. Reston. Right. That's less financial, but, uh, you know, it still it probably ends up costing him money. You think Kramer has to pay for this treatment he's getting? Oh, I don't know. Dr. Reston probably is going to talk him into, you know, coming in every week. I don't think you have to pay for that. Visit. You think the first one's on the house, though? Yeah, I think the first one's on the house. I think they get that's how they get you. But he also that really that's how psychiatrists get you but buy one, buy, you know, get one free and then you get 10, you know, you have to pay for it. I, yeah, I don't think they get you one for free, but maybe, you know, I think that there's a lot of businesses where the initial consultation is free. That's fair. I don't know if psychiatry is in that is in that sort of. I bet uh, there's some. Really? I bet there's somebody. I, I did look to answer a question, by the way, Rob, from last week. I, it does seem like there are different rules for psychiatrists and psychologists in terms of. Uh, dating their patients. Yes. So I, I think uh, with psychiatrists, uh, they're doctors. So that's, you know, you're going to get in big trouble if you're still treating somebody. With a psychologist, it, it seems like it really depends on, you know, I, I think if you stop seeing them, it, like, you know, seeing them in a professional sense, I think you're good to go. Um, but it, it's it, it, the laws were a little less clear, it seems like. I, I think it depends on what the, you know, the board you're under sort of decides. Okay, fair enough. All right. So uh, George is at Russell's building and he's downstairs and he's trying to get the doorman to call up. Uh, There's a George Bonanza here to see you. Yeah. You ever see Bonanza, the show? (laughs) No, I did not. Me neither. Yeah, I'm not surprised. All right. Uh, It's Seinfeld's friend. Okay, so finally, George grabs the phone from the guy. Again, George is grabbing the address book from Susan. He's grabbing the phone from the doorman. He needs to get up to talk to Russell. Yeah, I think even if Russell says yes in real life, the doorman's going to break your arm when you get off the phone oh, and he's sure, not letting sure. you up. Sure. <laughs> doorman, doorman in New York City are very sort of like they're, they're not going to ha- you know, handle this well. Plus, there's usually multiple yeah. in a fancy building. So there's going to be a whole team of guys throwing you out. Yeah, their job is to prevent this from happening. Yeah, because they're going to get fired if he goes upstairs. Yes, yes. So I don't know exactly what happens here, but I guess uh, Russell has a soft spot for the doorman. Yeah, there was a there was a story in the New York Post this week. A doorman got fired for being too nice. Oh yeah, that'll happen. Can't be too <laughs> nice. Can't be too nice. All right, so we go back to Morty arguing with the manager of the restaurant, and uh, he the man. I don't know what Morty's trying to pull here. You like an IOU? Yeah, it's weird because you'd think I, I'd say the the in terms of businesses, in terms of like, oops, I don't have my money. I want to pay later. You know, the worst place to do that is at a big chain store, right? Like if you try that at Walmart. Or, so, you know, Staples, they'll laugh at you, right? It's not even an option. Yeah. But if you try that at like a mom and pop store where they know you, they'll probably let you do it, right? Right. But restaurants, for some reason, are like Walmart. Yeah, but I don't think they know him. They, I know they don't know him, but I'm saying even like restaurants, it seems like that's not a place where this is going to fly, where I'm going to, you know, dine now and send you a check from Florida next yeah. week. But I think if you were like a regular customer, like if George tried to pull this at Monk's, like I feel like they'd let him get away with it. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think they could do it at Monk's. I think uh, well, what's the guy who's the bill is probably like, you know, 150 bucks here. Yeah, I think it's a big bill. Um, yeah, I, I, they're not going to get away with it. I mean, maybe he's going to have to wash some dishes in the kitchen. Yeah. All right. So what do they ultimately end up doing? I, uh, Jerry pays. Jerry had to pay. OK, so the manager rebuttals like, hey, 
Like, uh, sir, I'm trying to run a business here. And I like that Morty always goes back to, don't tell me about business. I sold raincoats. For 35 years. Yes. Uh, and the guy's like, I can't get involved with you and your family, sir. Yeah, he also says you didn't give the raincoats away, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. So what do you think about Kramer and Elaine? They show up at the Dr. Reston's office. Uh, Kramer notices that the door is on a diagonal. Yeah. Kramer notices interesting things. I would never pick up on that. Yeah. All right. So he's going to go in and go see Dr. Reston. We cut to George at Russell's apartment. And Russell is having dinner with Cynthia, who appears to have great disdain for either George and or Russell. Right. And possibly life. <laughs> yeah. But I love George in this scene that he like walks in and he's always like trying to like break the awkwardness with like a bunch of like rambling small talk. Uh, and he walks in and he's like, hey, what do you have in veal? Uh, yeah, I do like that. And, and obviously Russell will have none of it. He's like, no. No, it's not veal. He's like, are you sure? Because it's a good looking piece of meat. <laughs> not veal. Not veal. And then uh, he goes over to the stairs. He's like, oh man, look at this. You got stairs in an apartment. My whole life, I dreamed of stairs in an apartment. I, I had stairs when I lived in the city. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a uh, priest, but uh, we had stairs. There's nothing special about it. How many stairs? We had two stairs down to like a sunken living room. Yeah. Wow. There you go. And so Russell wants to know, how, how did George get the address? This, which is a very fair question. Very fair question. Jerry has the addresses. Um, Jerry has Marlon Brando's address. George could go to Marlon Brando's house if he wanted to. Uh, I'm surprised he doesn't. <laughs> and then Cynthia walks past George, and that's Russell's girlfriend. Uh, she just has like so much hatred for George as she walks past him. Yeah, she, I mean, she's kind of like this typical, like, Hollywood, I'm not interested in anybody. The, the Cynthia in real life was Wes Craven's wife. Oh. Or ex-wife. How about that? Ex-wife. And she, uh, she is neither an acting teacher nor a yoga instructor, amazingly. She's still with Wes Craven? No, they, she was divorced, I think, before this episode even. Oh, okay. She just kept his name. I guess it was her, um, you know, Hollywood name. Okay. But she appears to be a photographer. All right, so then, so Cynthia needs the TV guide to know what's on. There's so much TV guide talk in Seinfeld. It's true. I don't know. Do they make TV guide anymore? I think they still make it. I'm not sure if they, if anybody really reads it to know what's on the TV. I think it's more of like a TV weekly magazine. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they probably still publish uh, the listings, but in, what, what was the downfall of TV guide? Was it the channel guide on the TV? That didn't help it, but I think it was the internet. The internet? Why? You think people are going on the internet to see what's on? I think uh, it became obsolete when you could just Google it. The channel guy definitely didn't help. Also, the channel channel really did not help it. Yeah. We should make a documentary about the uh, rise and fall of TV Guide. Let's do it. I think, um, you know, we, got, we need to do something between season four and five, right? I think, by the way, the, the channel that shows the channels uh, which I think actually was called the TV Guide channel in, uh, you know, for a while. Yeah. Right? And the or TV like Guide TVGN channel something. is now not called the TV Guide channel. What's it called? Pop. Well, who's going to find that? <laughs> you need a TV Guide. I do think when it was just, you know, you, do you remember it? You'd have to like, it would have the channels, but it would kind of have music on in the yeah, background. Like you scrolling. You'd have to wait for your channel. You'd have to, to wait. If you missed, like you want to see what's on channel two at eight o'clock and like it's on channel nine, 10, 11 now, like, you have to wait for it to go around. You're, you got to be on that channel for three more minutes. Yeah. I also think that channel should have been called the channel channel. The channel channel. Yeah. <laughs> or the channel. Uh, in England, it should have been called the channel. <laughs> but 
there was a point where people were like, ah, I wish I knew what was on. And then TV Guide came to prominence. And then there was a point where people were able to figure out what was going on without TV Guide. Uh, it would be a fascinating documentary. I mean, I, you should put it on the back burner. It's on the back burner. Okay. When my mom used to send me, uh, when I was in sleepaway camp, she would like send me a package every week, mostly with like Sports Illustrated, maybe ESPN Magazine when that came out. But she, she hates having stuff in the house. So she'd send me the TV guide because it was addressed to me. Right. So I, we were like cleaning up for visiting day, which if you're in camp, that's like a big deal. And the, the, like, the director of the camp walks in and he sees on my bed because I had just gotten this package. There's just like, TV guides like strewn all over the bed. And you could imagine like just showing up like, why is this weirdo reading TV guides like in camp when he's not, we has no TV near him for two months. And I remember he like stopped this, you know, cleaning inspection and just started like roasting me for two minutes. Wow. It was embarrassing. Like Justin Bieber? It, a little bit like Justin Bieber. I, the only thing I remember is that like South Park was on the cover. It was the first, uh, it was the first ever episode of South Park. Oh, wow. There you go. Um, so George is telling Cynthia he knows what's on every night of the week. And uh, so he starts off by saying that, uh, what, what are the shows he says? Well, he says Blossom, which is hilarious because, right, it's a BC show. So clearly Russell knows what time it's on. Yeah, he's like, that's on Wednesday. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, oh, wait, what am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, They're like, I'm uh, pretty sure. The NBC. Now, did George get that wrong on purpose? No, I think, okay. uh, you know, he George is just a buffoon, but... It's also funny because can can Russell watch something like let's say Cynthia wants to watch Murder She Wrote on CBS? Yeah, does Russell be like, no, I'm a company man. It's NBC, or we're shutting off the TV. I think he can watch whatever he wants. Like, I don't think that George is like periscoping what's going on, and it would have been like, oh my god, it's leaked out that he's watching a show on a different channel. <laughs> he's not periscoping it. That's right. Is he meerkatting it? He's not meerkatting or periscoping what's happening. So I don't think anybody would be able to find out that Russell was not watching NBC. Yeah. But, and also Russell's probably seen all the NBC shows, right? He's got to watch the episodes. Competition. Yeah. No, well, his own, I'm saying he's got to watch them just to, you know, how else is he giving the notes? Like take, you know, take this out if he's not even watching the episodes. Yeah. All right. So basically George is saying that he wants to take the deal. There's been a misunderstanding and Russell says, I already made a deal with another writing team. Uh, yeah, I like they're like fighting over one spot, aren't there? Like, uh, you know, all the and this is just to get a pilot. Don't dozens of shows get a pilot? It depends. I, I think it depends on the network. And then like from those dozens of shows, like four or five make it on the air. It's not like five shows get to make pilots. Right. But I think that maybe five comedies might get a pilot and then five dramas. Like, like, I think that maybe overall, like, I don't know if they're, you know, um, piloting you know 10 or 12 multi-camera sitcoms right i think i think there used to be like dozens of pilots but i could be wrong it's possible it's possible but i can't imagine that there are so many that each network is making like you know 10 or 12 comedies and like 50 sitcoms are getting pilots you know even in the heyday right and i mean they're throwing around big bucks here 12 13 grand for a show yeah I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of money. Like, I feel like overall, I feel like there's probably like a like these days, I feel like there's like total like 100 pilots that get made. But that's between, you know, comedies and dramas. OK, so um, I mean, how many of them are, are comedies I, that, that we don't know. But George is like, all right, you look, OK, you got it. 13,000. I was never here. Boom. And he's like, George, the, the deal's already made with other people. Like, oh, and we get into the negotiation. George goes down to 10,000. Nothing. He really should have just stood there until Cynthia lost it and he would have gotten his 13 probably. <laughs> and so, no, I'm sorry. The deal's already made. And so 
George comes back. All right. $8,000. That's it. You know, have a, I'll leave you guys to eat. You guys have a great meal. This is, you know, I wasn't here. And finally, Russell, all right, fine. $8,000. So was it about the money? No, I, I don't think so because I still don't think he says yes. And except for Cynthia, um, you know, basically getting really fed up. Yeah. I feel like though, for the $8,000, it was such a good deal for them that it was like, ah, eh, what are we losing here for $8,000? Let me just, you know, this is, well, let's keep, we'll just do one extra one for $8,000. Like we're basically like getting a really cheap pilot now. Right. And I get this lunatic out of my apartment. That's worth five grand on its own. Yeah. And so, so George comes back and wants to know to Russell, can I use your bathroom? Yeah. We don't find out what the answer is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that seems just a little boorish on George's part. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm the, the, uh, the doorman likes him so much. I'm sure the doorman would have helped him, you know, found him a bathroom. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to Kramer and Dr. Reston and Kramer is sitting in the chair, which is making like uh, all sorts of terrible noises as he slides down on the leather. Yeah. I mean, this is all like Kramer doing physical comedy. Yeah. So I really love this part that happens where Dr. Reston asks Kramer if he wants something to drink and Kramer wants a decaf cappuccino. And <laughs> Dr. Reston says, uh, I'm sorry, we don't have that. And Kramer's like, uh, well, that's a little strange. <laughs> it's a very popular drink. <laughs> Dr. Rusty says, well, uh, this is an office. He's like, oh. <laughs> I'm, it's not even clear if he has a secretary rest in. Like, I'm, I'm not sure uh, what Kramer was expecting, but it is pretty funny. Yeah. I think that they must have been talking to some sort of secretary when they called on the phone. I don't think he was talking to Dr. Reston. Yeah, but it's also unclear, like, because the office is, looks like it's kind of just like, uh, you know, you walk up into this, like, small residential building and the office is there but then they're like they're in elevators going up and down yeah uh meanwhile down on the street here's elaine and she's standing there and here comes cjd crazy joe davola and uh he's singing the song side by side right is that what it's called yeah and elaine finishes the song and there's like this heavy flirtation between elaine and crazy joe davola now with all due respect to crazy joe davola uh, and I am no uh, Brad Pitt or anything like that. But why, why is Elaine flirting with Crazy Joe Davola? Why is she finishing a stranger's song on a New York City street also? Like, if Crazy Joe Davola was like a hot guy, like, okay, that's one thing. But Crazy Joe Davola is like, I wouldn't call him a desirable dating candidate by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, no, but, you know, Elaine's taste is, uh, you know, it's Absurd. really up and down. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to swipe right on Crazy Joe Davola at any point. <laughs> Could you imagine if you got Crazy Joe Davola on Tinder? I would swipe right. Yeah, whoa. Well, just, I mean, just for the story. I wouldn't like go out with him, but I would. I, I think that's Grinder, by the way. He will kick you in the head. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, if you finish a stranger's song on the street in New York City, like you're going to get maced. <laughs> so Elaine and Crazy Joe Davola really hit it off. Do I know you? You look really familiar. Elaine says, maybe you saw my face in Mount Rushmore. I replaced Teddy Roosevelt. What banter? Yeah, she's got a good banter game. I, what doesn't make sense is how do they not know each other before this? Yeah. Because how did they know that they went to the same therapist? That's a good point. Everybody knows Elaine and Crazy Joe Davola go to the same therapist. Even Kramer knows Crazy Joe Davola is on medication. You know, Jerry knows Crazy Joe Davola. Everybody knows. I, there's no way that Elaine doesn't know Crazy Joe Davola based on what has happened so far. 
Unless Jerry just picks up Elaine from the waiting room a lot, and there's no way that's what it is. Yeah. That, that's a mistake. It's a mistake. No way Elaine could not know Crazy Joe Davola. I mean, maybe she she didn't know he was crazy, but still. Maybe I mean, she she's... knows of Crazy Joe Davola, but then I think she's got to know his name at some point. Like when he says, what's your name? Right. Like I could see almost see it like where she's heard about Crazy Joe Davola and her the Dr. Reston has been talking about her patient, Joe Davola. And, you know, Jerry's like, oh, you know, Joe Davola. Oh, that guy is crazy, but she doesn't know what he looks like. Maybe. But yeah, yeah, I think it's just a mistake on the right. right. I think they forgot that they set that up. Okay. So then uh, we go back to uh, let's go back to uh, Jerry in the bathroom with Uncle Leo and uh, they're negotiating. Jerry starts off two hundred dollars. Uncle Leo's like, but I've never seen a band like this. We know the watch cost sixty dollars. Yes. And we know the repair was forty dollars. Yes. So first of all, why can't Jerry just buy? Is this like a one of a kind watch? Why can't just Jerry just buy a new watch? I don't think he knows where his parents got it from. Right. But he could probably find out. I mean, I know it's harder pre-internet because you could, you know, it would be very simple. Just put the serial number or whatever in. But I, I think he still could. He could have gone to uh, the watch store, you know, the watch repair store and say, uh, you know, send me even for five bucks, you know, send me to the place who sells this watch. I bet he could have found a place. Yeah, He could have gone back to Jimmy Sherman like, hey, my uncle was just in here with a watch. Do you know where I could get this watch from? Yeah, I think uh, Jerry, you know, Jerry's just trying to kill this here. But I think. You know, there were much easier solutions to it. And Seinfeld would be so much less funny if we just figured out all the problems. <laughs> yeah, we should have been like the stat guy, you know, like from PTI in the yeah, room. We could have just been like Buzz Killington in the writer's room and be like, <laughs> oh, actually, Elaine would not know. Uh, she would know Crazy Joe Davola because uh, we said earlier in the last episode that he, everybody knows who his therapist is. I think the show would have lasted as long as uh, Jerry and George's pilot did. Like, um, Jerry could just go buy the watch at, a, at another store. He doesn't need to pay for it from Uncle Leo. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How does, how does Elaine not know Crazy Joe Davola, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would just be uh, all, all about it. Uh, I mean, Russell could watch any channel. Um, but I think Lost probably it could have had that guy and they would have been fine with it. I think so. They needed that guy. They may have even had that guy. I don't know if they had that guy. They had a chart, at least, of like what was what. I there. think they had a chart. I think they had a chart. All right. So Morty Seinfeld walks in on Jerry handing Leo the $350. He's like, what is going on here? What is it? Is, he doesn't think there's like something perverted happening, right? I think I think there's like a very subtle implication of that, that they're going to have to. <laughs> that's because otherwise, like they have no reason to tell him the truth. They can make up a lie. Yeah. All right. So uh, we go to Kramer in Dr. Reston's office and Kramer is like laughing it up with Dr. Reston. Oh my God, you're absolutely right. You and Elaine are going to make a wonderful couple. Uh, and he's breaking out the cigars. Yeah, Kramer was re- is really malleable. Like that was very easy for was Reston. Not only is he like, he's not only is he saying like, yeah, we're not a couple. He's conceding Elaine to Reston. He's giving her away. I mean, according to Dr. Reston or the story that he thinks, I mean, Kramer and Elaine are involved in a sexual relationship. And five Kramer's, times a week. Yeah, five times a week. Uh, you just throw that away? I, I mean, I guess, you know, Reston doesn't care. He just wants, uh, he just wants Elaine. Okay. Uh, so uh, now you know why Dr. Reston is so reticent to give her up. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> yes. I mean, she went, uh, you know, she went all over Europe with him. Yeah. Okay. And that's a lot of weeks. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so more physical comedy with Kramer with the cigars. 
And, uh, you know, Kramer, I think before we even get to uh, Susan's dad's cabin, like uh, Kramer should not be having cigars. There's there's a real there's a Cal Ripken esque streak of fire jokes in season four. Yeah, they're really just playing with all of these different uh, ways that Kramer's going to burn himself or set things on fire. Kramer puts a match on a box of tissues. Yeah. I, by the way, when, earlier in the episode, Elaine has like a like a cute little line where she says to Kramer, like, you know, you you're something along the lines of like, you know, you should not be playing with fire. Yes, it's not for you. Okay. Well, he is, and he lights the tissues on fire. All right, so Elaine gives Crazy Joe Devola her number. I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah, she never does that. <laughs> okay. Uh, then we have a repeat of the same line. I can't believe I'm doing this. Jerry's giving his number to the maitre d'. And, right. uh, you know, Jerry says, you don't seem that desperate. And she says, oh, I give my number out to everybody. I was holding out for Uncle Leo. And Jerry, what's the terrible joke Jerry makes? Um, he's, I just wrote fish joke, but I think it was wire fish so skinny and it's because they only eat fish. Yeah. And then she laughs like, <laughs> she does like the Janice laugh. Yes. I believe it's uh, called in the next episode, Elmer Fudd sitting on a juicer. <laughs> All right. So Kramer is leaving Dr. Reston's office and crazy Joe Devola is coming up and uh, only for the grace of like a couple of strangers in the elevator, crazy Joe Devola doesn't see Kramer coming out. Right, and they, we know, know each other. They know each other, because Crazy Joe Duvall is going to kick him in the head. He kicked him in the head. Yeah, he would kick him in the head again if he yeah. sees him. Um, I think, yeah, and so, you know, and Kramer's a pretty wrecking, it's, it's hard to walk into a room or an elevator and miss Kramer, but, you know, Crazy Joe Duvall is crazy. Yeah, so Crazy Joe Duvall gets upstairs, and uh, we do, like, a, a tracking shot from, like, a lane on the street up to the office, and we hear Crazy Joe Duvall with Dr. Reston says, I just met a woman, and I'm in love. Her name's Elaine. Yeah, by the way, uh, a good tip is also don't meet a woman within five feet of your psychiatrist office because there's a good chance she's coming out of that office. That's fair. But she's getting help, though. I'm, I'm not listen. I'm not judging anybody, but, you know, it's really more of a tip for Elaine. Mm, you know? But she didn't know that uh, Crazy Joe Devola was going in. Like the tip off for Elaine should have been like where Crazy Joe Devola is like, oh, yeah, um, I'm actually headed in this building right here to go see my psychiatrist. Right. And he's singing a, like a show tune on the street by himself. Right. Right. And, you know, singing a show tune loudly to yourself on the street in Manhattan is probably a, a good sign that your mental health is in a questionable status. Although people do it now on the subway. They're like sing, a, you know, people like blast really loud music and they'll sing with it and they don't even notice they're doing it. Okay. I think Crazy Joe Devola is without an iPod and he knows he's doing it. I think he's two iPods short of a uh, Apple store. He's an iPod shuffle. Okay. So uh, we see a little bit of Jerry's stand up here. Stand up's in a weird spot here. Of, uh, yeah, it's very end. Yeah, it's like, you know, three fourths of the way through we see a stand up here of Jerry talking about how come the psychiatrist hour is only 50 minutes. I always thought just because they have to go to the bathroom. Hmm. No, isn't it probably because they don't like they want the patients to feel comfortable. They want them not to run into each other. They don't want like the eight o'clock who ends at 850 to run into the nine o'clock. I, I feel like it's probably like they have to write in their notebook like what the what the person said. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that 10 minutes if you think about it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it would be I don't have an issue with it. No, it, 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 I have not been to a psychiatrist, although I feel like I. I would uh, relish the experience. Would you go once and podcast about it? <laughs> I feel like it's doing a podcast. Yeah, it kind of is, right? <laughs> I'd be very happy. 
Uh, and I would like, and you're not going to tell anybody these things that I'm saying. This is very good. You know, but, but you also, you, you probably be like performing a little bit too much. You're probably, trying to make the guy probably. And I think a little bit of it would just be like, uh, you know, complaining about stuff. And, um, I don't know. I'd have to see somebody who was really good. Like so good that they didn't let you complain about stuff. Yeah. They'd sort of call me on it. Like, instead of like, uh -huh. I'd be like, yeah. And so then, uh, my wife says, then she was like, uh, like, no, I don't care about this. I was like, what? How do you not care? Uh, like they, they would have to like, like, ah, I, I, Rob, I think you're being a little bit of a, of a jerk here. Like what? So you want, you want someone who always sides with the other party? I mean, I want, if somebody's just going to sit there and, and yes me to death, I don't know why I need to go to the psychiatrist. I guess, I, I guess, I guess, you I know, guess. I mean, that's why you should go to one and, you know, uh, podcast about it and see how it goes. <laughs> I don't want to podcast about it. And if anything, <laughs> like when I'm not podcasting, I want things to do to, where I don't have to talk. Yeah, that's true. Plus, you, you'd lose your voice even more. Yeah, that I'm I, I there's already like, you know, five hours a day where I'm talking like I, I, I relish the times when I'm not talking. So does my wife. Uh -oh, but I'm. Yeah. All right. So then uh, we see that Jerry has to, you know, tell his parents about what was going on with the watch business. Yeah. So he really gave once. Here's the thing. Once Leo comes, once uh, once dad comes in, once Morty comes in, why isn't why, you know, and they haven't really exchanged the money yet. They're kind of just holding it. Why doesn't Jerry, who at this point is busted, just pull back, keep the money and tell his dad what happened? That's good. That would, that would make sense. But again, now that you're like the guy in the writer's room, well, why don't we just say <laughs> you're ruining the show? I'm sorry. All right. I thought that's all we do here. Yeah, that is a lot of what we do here. We, we take Seinfeld and ruin it. Right. We ruin it. <laughs> but we're not going to make it better. What's going on with this deal? Jerry tells his parents George turned it down because of Ted Danson. And that makes a lot of sense to uh, Mr. Seinfeld here. Yeah, maybe he doesn't like Ted Danson. <laughs> of course you could turn down your own television show if you don't like a guy on their network. Yeah. All right. So here comes George. He comes in. We got a deal. We got a deal. And everybody's very excited. And Morty says, see, I knew it. George has the right idea. He knows how to talk to these people. He's not going to get taken advantage of. Right. Morty is firmly in George's corner. But why would George, who knows he's bearing bad news and some good news, why would George, you know, do this now and not wait for the Seinfelds to leave in five minutes? Mm. It's fair. Yeah. You would think that he would just sort of be like, uh, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. But yeah, because then Jerry could say we got a deal without and You know, maybe he doesn't have to tell his parents how much money they got. Again, not as funny. OK. <laughs> and so we, there just needs to be like a term that we come up with. Like this is something that doesn't make sense, but it's there only because it's funny. And, you know, there's no other explanation. All right. If someone has an idea for that term, we're Let all Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the comments of what this is. So we just have a term and we could just use it whenever we, this comes up. It could be just like shut up Akiva. Shut up Akiva. <laughs> S-A-A. -S I don't know. I think we can do better than that. Okay. All right. All right. So then we get into a very funny bit where Jerry's like, so let me see if I understand this. <laughs> like you <laughs> held out for less money. I always love it when Jerry goes into this uh, direction with George. When starts singing, you know, Jerry's about to get into a bit. Mm hmm Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> George's like, uh, you're smart. I'm dumb. He's like, so he talks about, uh, this is how they negotiate in the bizarro world. Yeah. First shout out to the bizarro world. I also like the, I was right. You were wrong. You're smart. I'm dumb is like, is the direct opposite of what happened at the beginning of last episode. Right. Uh, yes. Yes. 
So, you know, it's it, everything in this whole season is just a callback to something that's already happened. Yeah. All right. So is the buzzer. It's uh, OK. Uncle Leo is going to be uh, here to take them to the airport. Here's a new wallet for Morty and Helen. Yeah. And it's the nicest thing anybody's ever done for him. Right. That's what he says. Yes. But, you know, it's I'm shocked by how not into this wallet he is. Yes. And he's not into he hates Velcro. I know he hates Velcro, but his son gave it to him. So why can't he? Is he allergic to Velcro? Like, why can't he put it in a uh, like when you get a bad gift, you don't throw it in the garbage, right? You put it in a drawer and you never see it again. That's fair. That's fair. But he throws it in that garbage can and Jerry ends up putting, what, $400 in that wallet? Yeah. A lot of money. Uh, it's a lot of money to go in the garbage. Yeah. And so we end up seeing after uh, George and Jerry uh, walk away, Morty throws the wallet in the garbage can. Uh, and is this the same garbage can? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And then uh, Uncle Leo, then he picks up the wallet. But I think Uncle Leo looks like he's just picking up the wallet. Like uh, he's just like a scumbag, like taking somebody's wallet. Like it's not like, oh, hey, that's a nice wallet. I mean, Uncle Leo is a scumbag. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, he's like one of these guys on uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah, Uncle Leo is a shady character. I think <laughs> they should not even be having dinner with him. He is he is fully like a bad guy. He's yes. a heel. Like there's no reason. I guess you know, I, you know, sometimes you're related to somebody, and the person is blinded by love. So maybe Helen Seinfeld, you know, makes them hang out with him. But Leo is evil. Like he should not be. Uh, not a good guy, Uncle Leo. No, he's really not. He has <laughs> no right. redeeming qualities. So we end up then going to the closing stand-up and uh, we're talking about the difference between a men's wallet and a women's wallet. Uh, I mean, this is like, you know, very basic Seinfeld humor of, uh, so a men's thing is like this, but a women's thing is like this. And we talk about how there's so many photos in a women's wallet. Yeah, um, it's dated, but it, oh, I guess you could just switch wallet for phone and it's pretty similar now. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. All right. So, Akiva, let's just talk about uh, the watch in broad strokes. Uh, if this was 2015, what would be different, if anything? You know, Elaine, Elaine would probably, you know, Facebook this Joe DiVola guy right away and realize, you know, something was up because she's heard the name Joe DiVola. So she'd probably put the pieces together. Yeah, I don't home. think she would have time to Facebook him on the street. No, but when she got home, she'd pick it up right away. Mm hmm. It wouldn't take her a few episodes. Yeah. And then um, what else would happen? I think Jerry would be able to Google, uh, you know, the watch and probably deal with it on his own. That's fair. Um, it's possible George could have found Dalrymple's address somehow online. Yeah. Dr. Reston would have been able to go online and see Kramer tagged in like a million of Elaine's photos. That's right. Or, or he would have said, how come uh, you've never, you're not even Facebook friends with him. Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Okay. So otherwise, uh, nothing particularly that uh, wouldn't be possible in 2015. So Akiva, where do you rank the watch? Yeah, so it's difficult. I think last week the wallet was uh, 93. It's, diff you know, it's difficult to put these episodes on their own because they're so intertwined. But which one did you think was sort of the more memorable episode? Or, or are they even? Hmm. I feel like there's nothing that's particularly memorable from this half of the episode. Right. I think, I think it's all set up in the last episode and here it's just conclusions, which it's not a boring episode, but it's not a funny episode. Yeah. I feel like overall the wallet and the watch is, you know, not one of the greater points in Seinfeld history as demonstrated by no inside look either for the watch and the wallet. 
Yeah, no, no deleted scenes, no inside look, nothing. Seinfeld tells you what are the important episodes. <laughs> well, or maybe people told them because they did the DVDs years later. <laughs> they know <laughs> what people right. like. They know what people like. And uh, the wallet and the watch is uh, not up there. So what do you have? So I, I gave the, the wallet uh, a better grade, but the watch is at 138. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and get into some questions. Of course, we take your questions every week on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast at Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, let's start off with Amir. And Amir said, uh, first off, you seem to be having trouble coming up with the heroes in the Seinfeld world. I'd like to submit Jerry's girlfriend, Lena, from The Sponge, who is described as too good. She fights AIDS, cares about the environment, doesn't tolerate liars, and she's pretty heroic. Yeah, I, I'll tell you my quibble, uh, Amir, with uh, counting Lena from The Sponge. If I'm not mistaken... Uh, she breaks up with Jerry, right? Because Jerry lies about his jeans size, like his waist, uh, which seems like a pretty stupid and okay. villainous thing to do. Yes. Okay. So that's fair. So she's out? Yeah. I mean, she's not a villain per se, but she's definitely not a hero. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Amir also says, I particularly love this episode because the idea of being forced to wear or display gifts given to you by friends or family strictly to appease them is a concept that will always be relevant. This is a lesson Jerry never learns as he later screws up in the pledge drive by throwing out his girlfriend's card. That's right. And I said last week also, right? I, I get every card after about two days. Two days after my birthday, they're gone. Two days. Oh, my God. I mean, unless it's for my kid. I think then if my kid draws me something, then I probably can't get away with that. All right. Johnny DeSilvera writes in to say, with inflation, Jerry paid Uncle Leo $585.55 for the watch and the new wallet. And at the end of the episode... Uh, that wallet would have contained six hundred sixty nine dollars and twenty cents. Yeah, I think um, you know it's a bad deal here. We have to we have to count this on Jerry's uh, if he's even ledger, which is now at like negative ten thousand five hundred dollars. That's a lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money. I mean, but we we know he's gonna he's gonna end up even by the end. So somewhere along the way, he's gonna come into some money. He's gonna make some money. All right. Does does when he just makes regular money? Does that count? Like, does the pilot money count? Is he up four thousand now? Is he down? you know, uh, 2000 because, or, you know, 2,500 because of George's shady business deal. Mm, that's a fair point about, uh, I don't think it does. Cause that's like money from like work. Right. We're not counting, right. We're not counting when he does a standup gig. That's as, right. As, we're not counting his income. So I don't think we should count this either way. All right. Then, uh, Johnny DeSavera wants to know is uncle Leo, not the luckiest person in the world. First, a free watch that just needed a small repair and then a wallet with $400. And is Uncle Leo the luckiest person in the world? Yeah, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I mean, if your dream is to have like one kid, no wife, apparently, uh, you know, your kid works in the parks he department. He does have a wife, though. Uh, I mean, you know, wh where is she? <laughs> okay. And, you know, it, you know, he, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a kleptomaniac, right? He steals books. Yes. So I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if Leo's the luckiest guy in the world. Mm. But he does sometimes, he is opportunistic. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if he's the luckiest guy of all time. <laughs> Him and Lou Gehrig. When he gets his eyebrows singed off. That's right. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then we like to close it out with Chester. Uh, Chester has a couple of questions. Some musings. Uh, he's like Mike Lupica. He's just, just a bunch of, uh, a bunch of uh, thoughts about the episode. It's like early Bill Simmons with the ramblings, right? Yes. Uh, wants to know, uh, where can I buy that lamp that Kramer has in his apartment? Yeah, that's a funky, like Kramer's got a lot of weird things. The, the lighting is really poor, so it just looks dingy, but he's got a couple pieces in there that are funny. Yeah. 
Uh, Jerry's parents can't pay because Morty lost his wallet. Jerry's mom doesn't carry a purse. Maybe she doesn't. And, and Morty's so old fashioned. He'd sooner let Jerry pay than let his wife pay, I think. Yeah. Morty Seinfeld is like the male kangaroo that the polar bears were talking about way back when. Of said, what? I don't have stuff to carry too? I can't have a pocket? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dal Ripple's doorman is better dressed than Queen Elizabeth's. Well, Dalrymple is the president of a major network. He might make more money than Queen Elizabeth. Okay. Chester says, did you notice how upset Dalrymple gets when Cynthia doesn't use a coaster? She doesn't respect wood. Do you, do you respect wood, Rob? I respect wood. Uh, unfortunately, my wife does not respect wood. She doesn't respect wood. I have to constantly say, uh, uh, I guess you don't respect wood. Yeah. Tell your psychiatrist about that one. Yes. Yes. No, nobody, the psychiatrist wouldn't take my side on anything. No. Uh, <laughs> Chester says, Jerry's the worst negotiator of all time. He goes from 200 to 350. Right. I mean, you should go in increments of 10. I think eventually it would have been worth it for Uncle Leo. Yes. But Jerry's rich. What, what does he care? I had a similar debate uh, about this with Josh Wiggler during recording of our Survivor Evolution of Strategy chapter about the, uh, the strategy of the Survivor auction. Oh, yeah. You could do a whole like 20-hour podcast on that. But I feel like there are <laughs> rules that we might not know about with that. No? no I think we know the rules. Well, what the, there are increment levels that are uh, 20, right? Yes. My favorite of all time, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if you've seen this season yet in your rewatch, is a, the, when the uh, middle school principal or elementary school principal uh, guesses in intervals of 10 because she did not yes. remember. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> yes. I'm, okay. sure, I'm sure her uh, students were very proud. Yes. Um, also, Chester says, listen to this. Isn't it obvious that the lost $5,000 from NBC should come out at George's end? So yeah, I guess Rob, that you Chester, realize we're hearing from a lawyer here. Like this is, this is a lawyer speaking. Yeah. So it was $13,000, right? Originally. So they were both going to get what? Six, five. And so yeah, they're both going to get six, five. And so Jerry should still get six, five. So George should only get one, five now. It would be pretty rough to give your friend who is unemployed a thousand, you know, $1,500. Yeah. Um, but listen, if you, if you hire Chester to negotiate for you, this is what he's going to do. He's going to drive a hard bargain. <laughs> All right. And then finally, Chester says, every gift Morty receives from Jerry is the most thoughtful gift anyone has ever given him. Does that happen uh, more than once? Well, I think he linked to, um, he linked to uh, the number one dad shirt, which was also the most thoughtful gift anyone <laughs> ever gave him. All right, we'll see if that happens all the way through. All right, send us your emails after uh, each episode or before each episode that we record and we'll get them on the show. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. What's next, Akiva? Uh, just a little indie episode called The Bubble Boy. The Bubble Boy. Okay, a lot to say about The Bubble Boy and the Moops next time on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. And the Moors. And the Moors, that's true. All right, Akiva, great work this week. Right back at you. All right. What's the hashtag on this episode? Ooh. Shut up, Akiva. Nah. <laughs> I, 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 well, you know, what if we have something from episode? That's a good question. I don't know. There aren't like a lot of... Uh, Decaf cappuccino? Mm, I feel like that's like a lot of people writing to Starbucks saying, <laughs> my drink was cold. What about uh, the <laughs> rise and fall of TV Guide? Yeah, that's not bad because we talked about that a lot. And obviously that's just going to be plugging our upcoming documentary. All right. So we, you could take the word the out rise and fall of TV guide. Fair enough. All right. What a documentary that will be. What a 30, 30. What if I told you that, uh, you would read a book to know what's on TV? Uh, 
the rise and then and one day you couldn't guy. anymore and then one day there would be no more books that by the way that guy has the best voice no the 30 for 30 guy yeah you should uh you should hire him to like do intros for your podcast i, I bet he's available yeah i bet he is yeah, i could find him for you right now <laughs> okay thank you akiva all right we'll be back next time looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments thanks to scott st pierre who edits the seinfeld recap podcast and also thank you to Mike Moore, who recaps the Seinfeld Recap Podcast for you. We'll be back next time to talk about the Bubble Boy. Take care. <laughs>